The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. I would like to start with gratitude as my opening. I am very grateful that I had the time and the money to practice Zen. I'm very grateful that I had the time and the money to do psychotherapy. I'm very grateful that I had the time and the money to do nonviolent communication. And I'm very grateful that I came into 12-step recovery. You only need time for that. You don't need money. Time and determination. And I'm really grateful for all those things that braid together in my healing process. And what I notice about those things also is that they were my privilege in my position in society. Not everyone has the time and the money to do what I talk about in the book. Um, so that's how I want to start. Being grateful for all that I've been given. I've gotten so many gifts right now from writing this book. I'm overwhelmed with gratitude, actually, because it was very difficult to write such an intimate book. Uh, you'll see, it's quite frank. It's shockingly frank, I, I would say, uh, especially for Zen and a Zen teacher who often we think professionally we should not share what we've been through and just talk about the Dharma. But in some ways, that's the point of my book, that I don't think that's the right way to do it. Um, I think that's a very male, patriarchal, if, I, if you'll allow me to say, way. And a woman's way, from what I'm seeing or observing, is um, has a lot to do with story. It has a lot to do with integration of what we're learning from our sitting into the life uh, that we're beautifully given. Um, and that integration is what I explore a lot in the book. So I, I came into Buddhist practice when I was about, well, young, 23 or so. And I was a mess. I was an emotional, my emotional body was in great turmoil. And uh, because of various traumas I had as a child. And I think that a lot of us have various traumas we've had as a child. Sometimes I joke that we should just say trauma instead of dukkha. But nevertheless, um, and I got a lot, I got a lot from Zazen, from the teachings, 
from monastic practice. It really, really helped me in so many ways. But also, it wasn't enough to help me straighten out my psychological and emotional distress. Because Zen doesn't actually practice like that. Uh, our practice is, um, well, it doesn't have many tools in that arena. And at one point, I felt like I had a hole in my heart chakra. After This was after 10 years, maybe, of doing sessions. I just didn't feel like there was something missing, I felt. Missing about relationships, about healing, about talking, even. Um, and I started to explore other Buddhas, uh, sects, the Tibetans, and the Insight, Theravadan Insight groups, and I started to pull from them um, emotional or what I call compassion practices. And maybe we all do that. Maybe you guys do that. I mean, this is years ago. And when I had my own Zendo, I started to use these a lot, and some people said it wasn't Zen, and, but we all got used to it, but frankly, after a while, um, trying to really incorporate this side of life. So in Zazen, this is a Kadagiri Roshi metaphor, he said, life goes by so fast, we can't process everything, so we make it into a cud like a cow, and we stuff it in to different parts of our body until we have the time to burp them up and digest them. And that's what he used to call zazen, was a time where you would burp things up and digest them. Sometimes he even called it psychic vomiting. You know, sometimes in zazen it feels like that so intensely deconstructing uh, our stories. So Zazen's wonderful in that respect for helping us heal trauma. And I needed more than that. And I needed help. Like, I felt like, gee, if someone would have just taught me a loving kindness meditation during that time, it would have helped me so much to be able to hold what I was processing inside. So I think one of the principles of no centralized self is to somehow disidentify with our stories. And I think that the way that traditional Zen has been taught has been to transcend or go up or see through or some kind of transcendent, transcendent point of view. And I would like to say that there's been a bias towards transcendence and emptiness, studying the great wisdom teachings, that 
didn't include or dismissed what I'm calling the descending aspect of spirituality. And I'm using descending in the most loving, lovely way, like um, really learn. It's also, you know, Dogen talks about enlightenment, but his last, uh, I don't want to call it a stage, but the last thing he talks about is returning. And he calls it returning to delusion. That's the translation. Of course, translations are not very um, good, usually. So returning to the manifest world and really being able to express whatever insight or wisdom or emptiness teachings you understood. For me, the most important thing is to integrate it back into my manifest life my human behavior, being able to express the precepts. And I feel that there's a imbalance in Zen right now that needs to be remedial. remedial. There needs to be some remedial work. And I know it's being done. Uh, so 21st century is going to look, 21st century Buddhism is going to look different I'm glad to say it's going to have an evolution than 20th century Buddhism, which is the Buddhism that I was brought up in. So the book is um, pretty much my exploration of the Baijan Fox Koan in Book of Serenity 8. Now, I am not going to deal with the koan, and many, I'm sure some of you know the fox koan. It's a main koan about karma, digesting karma. But the two lines that I would like to bring forth is, um, let's see, where are they? A practitioner does not fall into cause and effect, but a practitioner is not blind or does not ignore cause and effect. So this is the razor's edge that I was exploring in the book, because I believe the book has a very solid foundation in Zen practice. I don't think I could have written the book, explored my karma in the way that I did if I hadn't had the foundation, the rock solidness that I garnered from doing Zen practice. So, but what I did was, again, I took from Dogen a, uh, another sentence, which is, uh, I don't know if you guys study the Ehe Kosu Hotsu Gonmon, but it was a admonition from Dogen to really explore our karma. And one of the things it says is quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions, as this is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. Confessing and repenting in this way, one never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors. 
So the book is kind of um, a body scan, but it's not about the body. It's a body scan of my hatreds or my resentments or the places where I've been stuck in my life. That happened because my students started to call me Roshi. And I would go back home and I would have so much anxiety. And I thought, God, is this how a Roshi feels? And I said, no, I don't think it is. So I began to explore my anxiety, uh, which, of course, comes from trauma. So uh, it's explainable in a way. But what I saw was I thought after this is after 40 years of Zen practice and being a teacher. Um, oh, th this isn't my personal karma anymore. This is actually intergenerational karma. The scientists are finding that if you're, especially this is from a perspective of a psyche from an oppressed people, if that's in your heritage, they actually say that the ends of the chromosomes, the telomeres, shorten because of the stress of oppression. And that goes down from generation to generation. And boy, did that help me. So I'm a Jew. And I was born in 1951. So very shortly after the war, the Jewish community was a total mess from my evaluation. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but I mean, how can you handle you can't really handle genocide so shortly afterwards. And there was a lot. I mean, it just wasn't talked about. Uh, it was very suppressed. Uh, people didn't know what to do, except in my family's case, my dad decided that power and money would show that he wasn't an animal. And that was the values of my family of origin. And so one of the things I decided to do, so I'm starting to go into the themes of the book and what I did in the book. And the first thing I did was study World War II. And this is quietly exploring the farthest reaches of my causes and conditions. So if I, I felt like if I was to dissolve this pattern of self-centered anxiety in order to be a more open and connected, interconnected person, to let go of my defense mechanisms in order to feel, I have a felt sense of interconnection or interbeing, I needed to untangle the karma that I was born into. So this is really karma. I mean, we can work on our personal karma and what we've done. And then we have to work on the karma of our history, of our culture, of the systems in which we've been brought up. So I went to Auschwitz-Birkenau with Bernie Glassman. And I also went to Hiroshima and Nagasaki with the Jesus for Peace um, pilgrimage. Uh, Jan Chosen Bays led that. And those were like 
oh, in one place I was the victim and in the other place I was the perpetrator as American. And uh, there were, a lot went on for me in the digestion, the untangling of that karma by going to place. And I learned that from Bernie Glassman, that going to a place that will blow your conscious mind, which, believe me, going to a concentration camp or going to the Hiroshima Museum blows this part of your mind. And what is left is don't know mind. And his teaching of bearing witness to the pain. So that's throughout my whole book. It's a book about consequences. Like if we are able to hold the pain of the consequences of people's actions, of our own actions, that pain, so that's bearing witness from Bernie's precepts, bearing witness, holding the pain. And as you digest the pain, then action, loving action might arise. What should you do about this situation? And a lot of times there's not very much to do, but, but often there is something to do within the sphere of your life, even if it's as small as writing a letter, which was Titnat Han had a huge role. Actually, both of those men, may they rest in peace, my teachers who have died. Um, Titnat Han, their community wrote hundreds of thousands of letters on uh, the freedom for the Vietnamese people. So they were very engaged, but in a loving way. Because I don't, I think this exorcism of hatred that I feel the book did, not entirely. So here I'm going to put in my 80%. I am happy with 80% healing. I think that's fabulous. Oh my God, I'm 80% healed. And I think that's the same with enlightenment. Oh my God. I 80% get it most of the time. I'm working from uh, a non-stealthing place. Sometimes not. That's the 20%. But boy, if you can get up to 80-20, that's fantastic. You know, so I'm working on 80% healing. Now, where was I? Oh, about the pain of the consequences giving us the energy to go forward. So in all of my different chapters, one's about Jewishness in World War II. There's one on sexuality because I was sexually abused and also because I don't think Zen talks enough about the precept of do not misuse sexuality. We could really, for each of us, really go into that. This is a precept. And I think it would really help our sanghas not to have all these explosions if we were really working with and digesting the precepts. Mindfulness is great, but mindfulness is neutral. When mindfulness is profound, it is in alignment with your intention, uh, wise intention, and with the precepts. 
Now, mindfulness in alignment with wholesome intention is the way I see working with my manifest life at this point. So one thing the book did for me was I took all these things. So, oh, I, I also wrote, there's a chapter about recovery and healing from my asthma. And there's, a, a, I think, a pretty beautiful chapter about race, um, the last chapter. And one thing I want to go back to this idea of the psyche of the oppressed. Um, what I got from internalized anti-Semitism was self-hatred, very deep self-hatred, and also fear that if I showed who I was in public, I would get annihilated. Now, that's not true in this climate. Of course, there's a lot, still a lot of anti-Semitism, but I'm not going to be killed on the street. You know, um, now that might be a little bit different for an African-American. Maybe they would be. <laughs> but what I'm learning from having gone very deeply into the causes and conditions of oppression, it seems like other peop oppressed people have the similar um, psychic response to oppression, self-hatred, deep fear, um, uh, congregating with only people of your same grouping, uh, secrecy sometimes. So what I've seen as the book is starting to be read is that people of color who have been oppressed are getting something also from just me talking about the inner psyche of being Jewish. And that, for me, is the dissolution of the story. So what I did with the story was I went into my story and very deeply, as deeply as I could. And where I got at the end of that exploration was Avalokiteshvara was right there. Kindness and compassion for the dukkha of the world and the dukkha of my life. And the other thing I found is interdependence, that I am made up of non-I elements. This is, that's a Titnat Han phrase. And uh, maybe I should read that paragraph from the book. So this was being in Hiroshima uh, for the Jesus for Peace. I had to um, uh, shave my head for two weeks. We needed to look like priests from a Japanese standard. So I shaved my head for two weeks. I wore all Japanese clothes. Um, I did my best to represent a Buddhist priest, an American, white, Jewish, uh, feminist. I mean, it was hysterical. All the identities I had when I went to this place. And I looked like a man besides, which was always hard for me whenever I shaved my head. I, uh, my inner 
13-year-old girl would just scream, like, why are you doing that? Why are you looking like a man? She didn't care that I was shaving the roots of my karma. She wanted to be pretty, uh, my young girl inside. Anyway, I'm trying to be pretty for her now, as you can tell. I'm not wearing black. I'm wearing a lot of color, and I grew my hair long. Um, anyway, that's a little beside the point. But uh, so I was there in this very complicated position of identity. And this is one of the things that I wrote. I came to realize that I, Judith, was a reaction to all the issues of the previous generation. My life had been a reaction to my parents, to World War II, to the cultural influences of hippies, and to other events. It seemed that all of the most important decisions of my life, who I would marry, what my religion and career would be, had been made, had been made from an aversive reaction to my parents and Jewish history. Choosing Zen meant choosing the religion of the enemy, the Japanese. My blue-eyed, blonde, goyish husband, who has German ancestors, fits into this same scheme of oppositional defiance. I was aware of how rebellious my sad, angry, hurt teenage self had been, but I had not understood the extent of her conditioning and reactivity. Now I realized that I was made up of all these non-I elements. Even though I had studied the teachings of Buddhism for many years, still I had unconsciously presumed that there was a central place in myself that had made many of the major decisions of my life. And that was a very deep understanding of no centralized self, that the causes and conditions in which I was raised, which are current now, I am a reflection. I am interdependent with all those causes and conditions. And that profound realization that I had on the streets I think it was actually in Nagasaki, on the streets of Nagasaki, has really changed my life. And it took my Zen practice from um, I, 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 me, 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 mine, mine, mine. It seemed, even though I had studied for so long and I had taught for so long, I was still thinking of enlightenment as something that was going to happen to me, something that was going to me make me transcendent, like at that time, returning to delusion, returning to the manifest, meant I would be better than everyone else and I would help everyone else. <laughs> oh dear, how obnoxious and self-centered can you be to put your, that's a breaking of a precept putting myself above and others below. So at that moment, I actually dropped myself. Makes me cry. 
And those are the kind of stories that my stories tell. So although I do tell stories from Sashin in the book, the primary stories are about my life and how Buddhist practice permeated my life and often my major insights were off the cushion. So I wanna do one last thing. I see we're starting to end. Let me just see if I did most, yeah. So I would like to talk about forgiveness. I'm very emotional today. I talked at the Soto Zen Buddhist Association yesterday, which was very like an honor. I, I never imagined that I would be a primary speaker. And of course, what I talked about was women in Zen, which is also kind of a scary topic because that requires that we're going to have to change things, change it up for the 21st century. But I I didn't get any criticism. I got a lot of love back. And that's the thing that I'm feeling about uh, this gifts, the gifts of writing this book, is my defenses through writing the book. I dropped my defenses. I'm quite porous and I'm quite vulnerable. And because of that, I can let the divine love in. And that is the main healing for a person who has a lot of trouble in their emotional body, is this taking down of my blocking. They even say it happens in your nervous system, that your sympathetic nervous system starts to push away the outside impulses because as a child they were too violent i didn't want to to survive i didn't want to take them in but now i'm 71 i've been in buddhism 50 years there i don't need them anymore so how can you let that down and really divine love and divine forgiveness judith regeer does not forgive people i'll tell you that I hold on to the stories and I'm very resentful. But my practice has opened my mind, got me out of that self-centered place, allowed me to feel divine, unconditional love. And therefore, I can do that now for myself, 80%, for myself and for other people. So. In the digestion of your pain, of your stories, of your abuse, if you have it, um, I would say 85, maybe even 90% of the work is digestion of the story, either through zazen, through psychotherapy, through going to places that will bring up your shadow and your emotional material and digesting them. And then after you have reached 85, 90% of digestion, I feel that forgiveness is a type of grace that the Dharma makes available to you. It's not something you can will, but it is made available through your Buddha heart that you can forgive. 
And Joan Sutherland has a beautiful quote. It's in the book. But the only sentence I can remember at the moment is, can you forgive the world for being the world? Can you forgive Dukkha for being Dukkha? So I'd like to read, I think I still have time, to read uh, at Birkenau Concentration Camp, Forgiving My Dad. My dad was a very violent, uh, psychologically abusive man. And I'll just say, I'll leave it at that. His children have deep scars from his rage. And uh, this is where I understood the causes and conditions of my father's rage. And because you understand or you have some knowledge of the causes and conditions, your hold on your resentment can loosen or dissolve. Standing in the middle of the Birkenau concentration camp, I realized the causes and conditions that had made my father my so-called enemy. And he became a human being in my eyes. I saw beyond my limited and preconceived intellectual understanding of who my father was and the conditions that had shaped his psyche. My heart opened to the causes of my father's rage. It struck me like lightning in a moment of insight and relief as I was moving in a long stream of retreat participants toward the front gates for a lunch of bread and soup. All of a sudden, with no warning or intention, I found myself dropping to my knees, my head bent over and my hands on my heart. People were streaming past me on both sides as if I were a rock in a stream, the water rushing past. In this moment out of time, Huddled forward over my knees, I forgave my father, and I asked him to forgive me. Crying and howling with grief for my ancestors, for my parents, and for me, I saw the many repercussions of the violence and dehumanization that had happened in Birkenau and in my people's lives and their connection with my own life. Let's take a moment. Let me have a moment. So the way I like to end is with kintsugi. You might know kintsugi. It's a Japanese craft where they take a broken vessel and they glue the it's pottery, usually a bowl or something. They glue the shards together, and then they put gold or silver or porcelain in the cracks. This is a picture, you probably have seen these, of kintsugi pottery. I mean, they're just beautiful. And they show the gyo. Do you guys know the word gyo? Hanyashin gyo. That's um, the uh, patterning of life the flow of life, 
And I feel, I wrote this in the epilogue, a little bit like this vessel. I had split off parts of myself all over. And I have to say that Zen did not particularly help me with split off points. It helped me with who I thought I was, but it did not help me with the parts of myself that were in the shadow, that were my split offs. And this book is a lot about taking the split offs, understanding them, and loving them back. So for me, this shattered me that I had after so many uh, bad things. I took them together and glued them. And the gold is whatever understanding I have now of love or compassion or gentleness. That's my main intention uh, in my practice these days is to learn how to be gentle and kind. Coming from a very violent background, it's not easy. I didn't even know. I didn't even know what it was. And then I started doing these compassion practices and started learning from other people and my children's feedback, which was very hurtful, but broke my heart open. These are the ways I'm learning about love. And I'll just end by saying, I think our world is shattered at the moment, pretty broken. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but I think it's a Buddhist vision is that we'd be able to pick up the shattered pieces, glue them together, and have there be love as the glue, as the mending, as the healing. <laughs>